0: Tegan, I have to believe that you feel that you are at least a one out of five kind of person, right? Take five people, you know, you're special enough to be at least one out of five,
1: right? You know, this is one of these questions, Chris, that you asked (laughs) that I'm just not going to respond to.
0: (laughs) Because if you were, that would put you in the camp of people who believe that Taylor Swift is part of a covert effort to help President Biden win the 2024 election. 18% 18% of Americans. I mean, you're top 18%, aren't you?
1: Let's just say I am firmly not in that 18% of Americans. There was another really interesting thing in that poll, which was that 43% of that 18% that believe that Taylor Swift is part of a covert effort to elect President Biden, 43% of those people had never heard the conspiracy theory before, but still believe it.
0: They were like, <laughs> okay, oh, hey, don't know nothing about it, but that makes sense. It's not
1: the best statistic for supporting
0: democracy that I've ever heard. (laughs) It's not the best statistic for you top 20 percenters. I'm not sure that's the top 20 percent, (laughs) Chris. It's 20 percent. We know that much. Uh, The other thing that we know is we have been getting great questions via mailbag. We're going to address some of them today. Thank you very much keep them coming. Contact Hagen via Political Wire. Email me by simply replying to any day's newsletter. Now let's get on with business and what a week it's been. Right before we recorded last week, really within 30 minutes, Robert Herr released the report. We recorded after the report had been released, but before Biden decided to go out in front of the journalists, have his bit of a give and take with the journalists and establish in case anyone wasn't aware that CC is the president of Mexico, which is right on the border of Gaza. So we did our conversation right in between those two events. Subsequent to that, as we all know, there has been not a little discussion around whether Biden is really going to be the Democratic nominee for president. There, of course, had been speculation around that previously, frequently, of course, on Fox and occasionally elsewhere, but nothing too serious, maybe a little serious. That seriousness has picked up momentum. And then this week, there was an LA Times article, why replacing Biden with Newsom or some mythical perfect Democrat is unlikely. And my question for you is, is it unlikely? And I thought we would go through the LA Times five reasons why Biden and not Newsom is all but certain in their words to remain the Democratic presidential nominee. You ready to go?
1: Let's go. Let's hear them.
0: Reason number one, the days of the smoke-filled rooms are over. Are they over? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about
1: it, who is going to decide who the nominee is other than the incumbent Democratic president? There's nobody who's going to go to Joe Biden and tell him to step aside. And if they do, Joe Biden doesn't have to listen to them. He believes that he should run for president, so he's going to run for president. And I think that's clear.
0: But if he were to decide not to run for president, it can be done. I think one of the LA Times arguments was there's no time. We'll get into that a little bit. In fact, that's reason number two. The time has passed we you There's no time to have an actual primary. There's no time to have the votes. The path, as you argue, I assume you still feel the same way, that it's not going to happen, that Biden is going to continue to be the nominee. He's not going to move aside. But what you put forward was if he did, one thing that could happen is he moves aside after securing the majority of the delegates and that then either the delegates go to him, the brokered convention that you fantasize about, or sometime after that and and there's action taken by the DNC see poobahs. But the argument is that the time has passed. There's no time for a primary. Is that an obstacle to Biden not being the nominee?
1: I think the time has passed. I think there was plenty of time for somebody to put up a coherent challenge to Biden. Nobody stepped up to do that. And the reason that nobody stepped up to do that is that Biden's been a pretty effective president. And I think it would have gone nowhere. I think that anybody with ambitions to become president takes a look at the Democratic Party and most of the Democratic Party think Biden has done a pretty good job. So there really wasn't an opening there. And when Dean Phillips, the congressman from Minnesota, tried to find an opening and pushed you know he's been held to about two or three percent of the vote in the contest so far so you know he's going nowhere Marianne Williamson she's dropped out there's no challenge to Biden I think people saw that and they saw that there was no hope there but that's mainly because the incumbent president wasn't going to budge so Biden has decided that he's going to stay
0: reason number three Newsom remains on Team Biden, too. He's not pushing any. He's not pushing for any Joe must go. He's securely on Team Biden. Is Newsom's being on Team Biden a reason that Biden will not step down as nominee?
1: Yes, I think that Gavin Newsom has been very smart about this. He's clearly been given cover by the White House to debate Ron DeSantis, to make foreign visits, to raise his profile in defense of Biden. Newsom's very good on his feet. He's very good on television. But I think Newsom's probably looking more towards 2028 than he's looking at 2024, with one exception. Anything can happen in politics. And I'd rather be Gavin Newsom, who's at least danced around and raised his profile for the last six months, than somebody like Andy Beshear, for instance, from Kentucky, who on paper would be a very strong candidate nationally. But the problem is, is most of America doesn't know him. so. Newsom is probably doing this because you never know what would happen. There's a possibility Biden would change his mind. But as we sit here in mid-February of 2024, there's no indication that Biden's changing his mind. In fact, everything you hear from the White House and from the Biden campaign is that he is ready to go and he believes he can beat Donald Trump again.
0: Okay, so maybe Newsom's not in the game, but what about the sitting vice president? Kamala Harris, uh, you saw the Wall Street Journal report earlier this week. Headline, Kamala Harris says she is ready to serve as Biden faces age scrutiny. In a recent interview, the vice president cites her, quote, capacity to lead after stops on her abortion rights tour. So Kamala was giving press interviews talking about how she's ready to lead. That was more in terms of, okay, should anything happen or Biden-Harris, strong ticket. I'm ready to do whatever I am called to do. But is that an option? Could she be called on to do something sooner rather than later?
1: I think that cuts both ways as the sitting vice president, she would be next in line if something were to happen to Biden himself and he could no longer serve as president. That's not necessarily the case in terms of who the nominee of the party is. But I suspect that if Joe Biden were to take a look at the delegates to a convention in an open convention scenario, Kamala Harris would have a awful lot of those delegates, perhaps even a majority, even though there are doubts among the broader public about whether she could win the presidency on her own or defeat Donald Trump. What's interesting, and the reason I think that cuts both ways is that I think Biden knows that if he were to step down, that she might have the inside track to get the nomination. I'll bet Joe Biden doesn't think she could beat Donald Trump or at least would have a harder time than he would. So the idea that she is his vice president, that she is his running mate, may actually convince Biden to stay in the race, even if he had any inklings. And again, I don't think that he does think he should step down. I think he might've considered that two years, three years ago. He might've considered being a one-term president, but at this point he has every intention of running for another term.
0: I thought Kamala Harris had a good week. She looked very strong. I thought that her defense of Biden felt strong. We all knew why she was doing it. She had to do it. She isn't the only vice president or member of the cabinet who came out in his defense. I'm sure you saw John Stewart's Hilarious point on that after showing video of, I think it was Harris, maybe he's Buttigieg, I think my Orcas, all three saying the same three things. I've been in meetings with Biden. He is strong. He is very clear. He's on top of every point. He's doing a great job. And Jon Stewart said, If you've been in these meetings with him when he's acting that way, did you ever think about taking any video? Could you just show us some of the video? We'd love to see the video. Kamala Harris didn't shoot the video. But she did have a great week, in my opinion. And I'm wondering to what extent that's coordinated with Biden's team. Obviously, Biden's team has given the go-ahead to Harris, to cabinet members to go out and defend him. Her statement's even stronger that she is ready to lead. Did you come across anything that indicated to what extent that was or was not coordinated with Biden's team?
1: No, but I imagine that it was. And you know, we've got 30 plus weeks till the election. Kamala Harris needs more good weeks. The more good weeks that she has, the better Team Biden is going to be in the election. The more she raises her profile, the more she makes voters comfortable with herself, the better it's going to be for Democrats because many more people are beginning to think, well, if Joe Biden is so old, that maybe Kamala Harris would become president at some point. So if she's looking
0: to have good weeks, now's the time to start. And the last reason the LA Times gave why Newsom or some mythical perfect Democrat is unlikely to unseat Biden or take over or anything to happen is because Newsom symbolizes California liberalism and we can get into all of that, what the state is of California, I think, in future discussions. We did get a mailbag on the topic from Andrew G., longtime reader, and has sent a couple of questions. So thank you, Andrew, for that. He said, good discussion as always. Thank you, Andrew, for that. This is definitely going to be a fight over who is more senile. Question do you think Biden should release the tapes of the interview with her, the special counsel, so people can decide for themselves? Maybe with the tapes of Trump's deposition where he doesn't remember anything. Also, question number two, should Biden push for earlier debates? Trump challenged him. Why not accept the debate offered? So two questions. First of all, would you release the tapes of his interview with her? And two, debates
1: So on the issue of the tapes, I do know that there have been news reports that the White House is concerned about transcripts of Biden's discussions, which lasted over five hours over the course of two days and were pretty free-ranging, that the White House is concerned about those transcripts. And they're concerned about those transcripts getting into the House Republicans' hands, for instance. The House Republicans are already scheduling a hearing with the special counsel, Her and they're concerned about that because the House Republicans like to take everything out of context, but I suspect they're not so sure of everything that is in there. You know, I've listened to you talk for five hours straight and you know you say some things you probably wouldn't want to be made public either, Chris. So you know I suspect that uh, Joe Biden over the course of two days, in the typical old Paul sense, you know, he is talking about all sorts of things. so I suspect that the concern is probably justified.
0: Andrew's second question was, should Biden be pushing for debates to be done earlier? My supplement to Andrew's question is, do you think Biden will agree to debates at all? Well, that's going to be an interesting question. I think both Biden and Trump will
1: push for debates. Whether they agree to the debates or whether they have problems with the terms of the debates, that's another question. But I don't think that it's to anyone's benefit to actively duck the debates. Both candidates have issues. Both candidates want to be seen as being open and not afraid of a debate. But at the same time, I think both candidates have justified reason to be afraid of the debate. I mean, you recall that one debate, I think it was the first debate in 2020, was an absolute train wreck. I mean, it was insane. You couldn't hear anybody talk. I mean, if you're going to have that kind of debate, I don't think it does anybody any good, really. But I don't think that Biden can be seen as ducking the debates, or neither can Trump, really. So they'll keep pushing for the debates, but whether they agree to the terms of the debates, I can't
0: say. And to Andrew's question, should Biden take a more aggressive stance? Should he call for debates earlier?
1: You know, as I said last week on Trial Balloon, I think Biden should have done a Super Bowl interview. I'm not sure why he skipped that. I think that that was a great opportunity for him to uh, speak to the American people when he knew the American people would be watching. And again, as Jon Stewart pointed out, instead of doing the Super Bowl interview, he had a TikTok (laughs) talking about chocolate chip cookies, (laughs) which which I don't think was probably the right thing to do. I'm generally an advocate of Biden doing something more aggressive. And if that's debating Trump, then so be it. I think he should probably do less TikToks about chocolate chip cookies and
0: snacks and things like that. Less TikTok, more cookies. (laughs) It was crazy. Let's put the uh, link to that TikTok in the show notes. Speaking of crazy, can we talk about the Republican National Committee for a moment? That is just one bit of crazy that we saw this week, Chris. But yes, let's focus it on that. So earlier this week, you wrote, why Trump needs to take over the RNC so quickly. It's not unusual for a political party's presidential nominee to take control of the party apparatus, but Donald Trump has moved to take over even before he's officially the GOP nominee. He's looking to install daughter-in-law, Lara Trump, as co-chair and senior advisor, Chris Lasavita, as the RNC's chief operating officer. His urgency is likely due to massive legal bills. You run a quote from Bloomberg. You talk about how he can legally compel the RNC to pay his legal bills, of course, diverting donor funds to pay for Trump's legal bills, you write, would likely hurt GOP races around the country. It's compounded by the fact that the RNC is already behind on raising money, starting the year with just $8 million, compared to the DNC, which had $21 million in the bank. But that's not Trump's most pressing concern no, he might not be so concerned with the other Republican races. But you've got a week where Jared Kushner says, no, 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 he's not going to go back into a Trump administration. I think Ivanka Trump said previously, she's not going to go into a Trump administration. But Laura Trump, I guess technically this would not be a Trump administration, but uh, she's happy to take over the Republican National Committee. What's going on there? Well, I think it's exactly as I wrote about.
1: It. I do think that Donald Trump has money problems. Anthony Scaramucci, former Trump aide. White House communications director for I think it was 10 days. He speculated based on public information and disclosures that Trump has made that he's going to be out of cash very soon, particularly if there's a civil judgment which is supposed to happen by the end of this week against Trump where he may have to pay 300 375 million dollars to New York State for his business committing fraud in the state over the years. If that's the case and combined with the 88 million dollars that he owes Eugene Carroll Anthony Scaramucci thinks that Donald Trump may be out of money. So he needs somebody to pay his legal bills. And, you know, the RNC as a vehicle is legally allowed to do that. Not such a good thing if you're a down-ballot Republican looking for help from the national Republicans in your race for Congress, however, because it does seem that the RNC, when controlled by Trump allies, is going to be much less interested in helping them in their congressional races than it is in raising money for Trump himself.
0: When does Ronna McDaniel technically leave? When is her job over? I believe it would be at the convention where she would hand
1: over to someone else or be reelected. But according to reports, she has, I guess, agreed with Donald Trump to stay until the South Carolina primary, which is about 10 days away. And then at that point, the RNC would meet and choose a new leader at this point. That's obviously Trump is pushing her out early at this point. So that's why all the speculation about why is he doing it so quickly?
0: Another area of some craziness is the House of Representatives, where the margin, I believe, is down to one right now. Is that right? Down to two. And that two-seat margin has been brought down because Tom Swasey beat Republican Mazzie Pillup the other day in New York's third district. What does that tell us about November 2024?
1: Well, I'm not so sure it tells us as much about the November elections as it does about the state of the Republican Party right now. So why don't we focus a little bit on the House Republicans and find out what they're up to? Because this obviously has narrowed their margin. It seems like Mike Johnson has no interest in putting any legislation through that is bipartisan that he's somehow looking to work that two-seat majority to, you know, for instance, impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas this week. He has no interest in actually putting forward a piece of legislation like the Senate just did a foreign aid package that would obviously, you know, go to fund Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. He has no interest in a border security bill, which could potentially fix some of the issues on the border. He's only interested in pushing legislation through that somehow will get 218 Republican votes. And what that's caused him to do is he had to abandon. He had to pull another bill that was going to overhaul spy powers this week due to Republican infighting because Republicans can't really agree on anything. He had another rule defeated on the floor. There have been more rules defeated that Republicans have put on the floor than at any point in more than 50 or 60 years. This is unheard of what's happening with the House Republicans right now. We've had a fourth House committee chair announce that he would rather not be in Congress and that he's going to retire. I mean, these are the most powerful people in the conference, these chairs of these committees, and we've now had four of them say they're not going to run for re-election anymore. It's just one indication about how impossible it is to be in this majority in name only that the Republicans have right now, that even the most powerful among them, people like Patrick McHenry, who was briefly you know, presiding over the House as the Republicans were trying to find a speaker. It was amazing. It's amazing that they're deciding to leave their jobs at this point, but it's an indication of two things. One, I think they see that the writing's on the wall that Republicans won't have a majority after the fall election, but that too, the Republican Party is ungovernable at this point in that it's impossible. And so all of this happened this week and Republicans, both the House and the Senate, are about to leave for a President's Day recess. They will be back on February 28th and they will have just three days, three working days to come together with a plan to fund the government or we're going to have a government shutdown. So that's what's happening right now. It leaves Mike Johnson with the same options that he's had before. He can either shut down the government and take the blame, something that he hasn't wanted to do in the past, something that Republicans from Kevin McCarthy on down believe would be a bad thing for the Republicans if they shut down the government, or they can rely on Democratic votes to fund the government. We've seen this before. Johnson has had to do this before, but I really think that if he chooses that path right now, it's hard to see how he survives. He has done a terrible job as Speaker in just his short tenure. And I think there will be a rebellion on his hands. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have another motion to vacate and that Republicans spend most of March
0: looking for a new Speaker. What percentage of it is that he has done a terrible job versus what percentage of it is it that the Republican caucus is just ungovernable in the House? In the case of Johnson, I think it's both. I think Johnson
1: is relatively new to this type of power He kind of came out of nowhere to become speaker. Yes. Uh, he wasn't like Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan who know a lot of members in their caucus. He doesn't know people nearly as well. And I think it's one of those things where his inexperience has certainly contributed. But as we saw with Kevin McCarthy, who was much more skilled at these things, he wasn't able to govern this caucus. So you have a Republican party that is in total chaos right now. That's in the House. Meanwhile, you've got Donald Trump, who's essentially trying to stage manage these things. He was the one who pressured Congress to kill this border security deal. He is going to increasingly put his stamp on this Congress and tell them what they can and can't do. You mean Senate
0: Minority Leader Donald Trump?
1: (laughs) He might just as well be. We obviously know that he's not friendly with Mitch McConnell, but here's the other thing. There was a report, an NBC report just an hour or so ago as we're recording this, that said that sure enough, Donald Trump is considering and his aides are considering giving the State of the Union rebuttal. In a few weeks, Joe Biden will step before a joint session of Congress to deliver his State of the Union address. We could have Donald Trump, his opponent in the fall election, give the rebuttal. There's a caveat that Trump thinks that that might be too risky and that he is leaning against doing that. But that's the type of environment that we're in right now, particularly when you have a Republican nominee, not officially, but effectively already chosen at this point.
0: And to close it out, I think it's time to ask again, Mike Johnson or the head of lettuce?
1: (laughs) You know, at this point, so we are at February 15th. I'm betting on the head of lettuce, I think. It's the head of lettuce. Talk to you next week, Tegan. Thanks, Chris. Bye.